Welcome to the Women's Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Sheridan House. We continue today in the series, God's Masterpiece, a study of women in the Bible. If you've missed any part of this series, you can find it and many others online at SheridanHouse.org. We hope you enjoy today's lesson. Well, it is good to be back with you all. And um, is Sarah amazing or what? We are so blessed to have uh, such an amazing young woman. And um, so anyway, great to be back, though. I missed you all and thought about you, prayed for you. And uh, just it's just wonderful to be back. And um, as as I prayed, we are going to be talking again today about good news. We're going to be talking about a happy ending. Don't you love happy endings? You know, especially right now when we're kind of struggling with all the things that are going on around us. And um, I've gotten to the point where I can't even watch a movie unless I know exactly what's going to happen, that it's going to be a happy ending. Uh, A couple of months ago, I was, Scarlett, uh, Roby's oldest, wanted me to watch Cinderella with her. Well, I've seen Cinderella a hundred times, and I'm watching this wonderful Disney movie, and at the very beginning, I'm like, this is just way too sad. I mean, I knew the ending of Cinderella, which was a happy ending, but you know, to see the wicked stepsisters and stepmother, it was just like, I don't even want to watch this. And this is a, this is a Disney movie, for goodness sake. So I have moved away even from movies a little bit, and um, I've probably told you this before, but I'm very hooked on Christian Amish stories. <laughs> And they're fun because they're in, you know, carriages and, you know, all those kinds of things. And yeah, there's a little bit of intrigue here and there, but it's, it's happy. They're happy stories and they're happy people that, you know, live off the land and all those kinds of things. So um, anyway, we, we just love uh, happy endings. I love this quote from uh, Warren Wearsby. It's in your book. Not all of life's stories have this kind of happy ending. But this little book, talking about Ruth, of course, reminds us that for the Christian, God still writes the last chapter. Do you love it? I love it. God still writes the last chapter. And so today, we're going to be able to study a story with a very happy ending. And today, and and, um, Sarah developed last week uh, all the you know, the, the uh, history of what was happening to produce this happy ending. And today we get to see the end of the story. And I love it because it is just so happy. I love it, love it, love it. And so we are going to be in Ruth chapter 4, if you're not already there, verses 13 through 22. And we're going to be looking at a new family is formed. First on your outline, a new family is formed. Look with me to verses 13 through the beginning of 17. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Now Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood 
gave him a name saying, a son has been born to Naomi and they named him Obed. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, um, how his name and so forth. But first of all, A, Ruth and Boaz marry with everyone's blessings. And uh, like we talked about a minute ago, Sarah developed last week how Boaz strategically presented his case, strategically and craftily in the good sense of the word, where he uh, went into the first kinsman redeemer, the one that was really in line first to get Ruth and get the land, uh, Elimelech's land and so forth. And, um, and the man says, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll take the land. And then Boaz goes, oh, one little piece of information I forgot to give you. You get a wife with it. And as soon as that came out, he was done. And so then court convenes and all that. But the wisdom and the craftiness in the good sense that Boaz uses to develop uh, his getting the court approval of his relationship with Ruth. Love it, love it, love it. So in chapter 2, remember way back when he first met, when Boaz first met Ruth, remember he said he prayed that God would fully reward her? And here I love the fact that um, he becomes the answer to his own prayer. Is that amazing? (laughs) He's the one that ends up blessing her. It's so amazing. The instrument of kindness that God worked out in his, the Lord's plan. So B, then the union is blessed with a child. Notice that the son born to her is regarded as a gift from the Lord, a gift from the Lord. Once again, and may we never forget that, that our children, our grandchildren, our nieces and nephews and so forth are gifts from the Lord. They're gifts from the Lord. Sometimes they might not feel that way, but um, anyway, (laughs) but that they're, they're gifts from the Lord and they are indeed. But once again, the theme um, that God is over all and works out his divine design. This birth is clearly part of his divine design for this part of the story, for Boaz, for Ruth, for Naomi, for Israel. And we'll talk about that uh, in a little bit. But um, obviously, this is all a part of God's design, a part of the tapestry that he was weaving. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, the name um, Edith Schaefer. She and her husband, um, Francis Schaefer, were theologians, great Christians of of a past generation, really. And um, although I was alive when Anyway, um, and they went to Labrie, Switzerland, and began a retreat for Christians, and just brilliant people. And Edith Schaefer wrote a, story, uh, a book called The Tapestry. And in that, she developed this concept, and it was just so wonderful. He, she talked about how, you know, you look at a tapestry, and if you look at the back of it, and if any of you have done any kind of stitching at all, like... Um, cross-stitching or um, what's the other one called? Needle, needle point or whatever. If you've done that, you know that in the back, as you look at the tapestry, it can look like a bunch of knots. It can look like stray uh, threads and there's just no rhyme or reason. And how come this blue one isn't matching the red one? And, you know, it looks like a disaster. But when you turn the tapestry over, it's perfect and beautiful. That is sometimes how our lives feel. Sometimes we feel like our lives are the back of the tapestry. 
with the strings hanging out and the knots exposed and all those kinds of things. But what we want to remember that in God's eyes, we have a beautiful finished tapestry. And we will realize that someday when we get to heaven and he begins to show us our lives as he, he talks about, okay, I know that seemed really strange at that era of your life and this and that. And as he explains to us all that went on, we will see that in his eyes, he is forming a beautiful tapestry. And that's exactly what he was doing in the lives of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. He used his masterpiece, Ruth and also uh, Naomi. And so first of all, see on your outline, we're going to read about how Naomi is honored. Look with me again to verse 14 and verse 16. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer and may his name be renewed in Israel. And then verse 16. And then um, uh, uh, verse, yes, 16. Ugh. Uh, then Naomi took the child, laid him on her lap, and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave his name and so forth. Amazing. Interesting that once again, Naomi is featured in these closing scenes. Began with Naomi, and now it's ending with Naomi. Number one, she is the principal sharer of all the joy. Notice the words of the women. Again, they're praising God at the marriage and now the birth. God is getting the glory as he should get the glory. And they ascribe to God all that has happened. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that was a, a common phraseology at that time of praising God and thanking God and being grateful to him. It's kind of like our, remember this one? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Kind of our phraseology. And um, that was what they would say. So the author does not want us to miss once again that God, number two, has a divine design. God is about putting this tapestry together. He is about putting the divine design together. He is supreme over all men and all events. May we not forget that. Let me say that again. He is supreme over all men and all events and that he will bring to pass his plans in his way and in his time. He will do it. He is a, he is a plan maker and a plan carry outer. Is there such a word? Anyway, uh, he, is, he, he brings his plans to pass. Now, most of you think that last week... I was in North Carolina. I wish. Let me tell you what happened. The Friday, the Wednesday after we were together here, we were supposed to leave the following morning. We were to, supposed to fly to North Carolina. And um, Bob was teaching the men's Bible study here Thursday morning, and I'm busily getting everything, last-minute stuff around the house, packing my bag, um, getting all my study things together, and everything was, you know getting organized, came home. We were supposed to leave in about a half an hour to go to the airport. And he got a phone call from a friend who he had had lunch with a few days before. And he said, I just need to let you know that I had to rush my wife to the hospital with acute um, um, COVID. And so Bob and I looked at each other and thought, you know, okay, 
he hadn't been exposed to the wife, but he'd been exposed to the husband who had certainly been exposed to the wife. And so we were kind of like, oh. And then a couple other little things happened around the house. And we looked at each other and we said, you know what? We need to stay home. <laughs> Staycation. So that's exactly what we did. And we had a wonderful time not like looking out the mountains and all that, but uh, we had a wonderful time of study, of quiet, of rest, of uh, just being away from it all. And here's the interesting thing. The end of the afternoon, I get a phone call from Roby, my son. And he said, Mom, I just need to let you know I've got COVID. And I, I'm going to quarantine and all of the whole family is going to quarantine because we don't know, you know, I don't know if Rebecca has it, you know, about the children. And um, so we're all going to stay put. And it, it came to my mind, had we gone to North Carolina, I wouldn't have been able to be here to do whatever I could, bring a meal, bring groceries or whatever it was that needed to be done. And I would have been, you know, frantic up there so many miles away from my son and his family. Wow. Happy note, he was uh, tested negative this week and he's back to work in the pulpit and everything else. Nobody else got it in the family. So it's a happy ending to the story, but we were able to see God's divine design come to pass. We weren't supposed to go to the mountains. And so all these other things you know, came into play. And, um, and so we made that decision that was clearly God's plan for our life. He is in every plan. And that is kind of hard for us to understand when we think about the millions of believers across the globe that are going through a lot worse things than we are right now. And, you know, again, like I prayed, you know, keeping the universe in, in place and all those other things. And yet he cares about you and me, the little details of whether, you know, we go on a trip or not or whatever. It's just amazing. But he is in control. He's in control of history. He's in control of our lives. Wow. Number three, we are God's divine design through good times and bad. Wow. Let me say that again. Pretty important. We are God's design through good times and bad. May we see that all the things good and bad are sifted through his loving hand and to praise and be grateful for uh, for that position, instead of always coming to him with our legal pads of would you, would you, would you, God, please hear this prayer, this, this, this. And yes, we're supposed to bring our needs to him. Yes, we're to be lifting each other in prayer. Yes, um, Pam V, again, thank you for the prayer ministry where we are aware and getting to, to pray for each other and some of those desperate needs. But are we just as adamant about praising and thanking him? Are we just as energized by saying, well, Lord, okay, I'm having a bad week, but thank you for this. And I know you get sick and tired of hearing me talk about this, but one of the, the, the things that has been the most dramatic in my life is my grateful journal. Aren't you tired of hearing about it? <laughs> don't say, don't say yes. Okay. But anyway, um, and I want you to know I'm up to 9,980 this morning. So when I turn, when I, when I get to 10,000, I think I should have like a celebration, don't you? I'm not sure what I'm going to do yet, but I'm going to celebrate when I get to 10,000. But it has been so strategic, and I've said this so many times, I don't want to be boring, but 
it's so strategic in my life because when there are so many concerns, when there's so much heartache, when there's so many um, people that we love that are ill or whatever is going on, it, we can tend to get sad. And one way to fight sadness in our lives is to say, okay, Lord, this, but yesterday, this. Yesterday, I got to do that. Yesterday, I saw. Yesterday, you showed me a scripture. Yesterday, and we can list all the things that we're grateful, and it can turn our attention away from the ugh and the difficulties and the sadness that we are surrounded with sometimes and get our gaze into our God and how in the middle of everything, he loves us and he provides things for us to be grateful for. So um, I'm not going to get tired of telling you about my grateful journal. And I will tell you when I get to 10,000. But anyway, um, where am I? I got so carried away here. First, the end of the second part of verse 15. Go back to that again. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. They're focused on what God has done rather than the heartache that she's experienced. You know, they could say, oh, yeah, it's great, so great. Naomi, that you have a grandson now, and wow, that just, wow, that's so good after all you've been through, losing your husband, having to move out of town, losing your son. They could have, you know, enumerated all the difficulties that Naomi had had, but yet they are choosing instead to say, look what God has done. Wow, you have a, a new baby, a son. And then D, we go from Naomi and then we begin to talk about Ruth as God's masterpiece and she is honored. Notice the great respect that she has earned from the women of her community. And notice, I love this, it's not for her beauty, it's not for her now new wealth and position, it has nothing to do with that, but it's her virtue. It is her loving spirit. Notice verse that second part. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is more to you than seven sons. These women recognize that. They, they were saying, you know, wow, you have this new daughter-in-law who loves you and who is virtuous and who is a wonderful woman. It's not, and oh, by the way, she's really pretty. I wonder where she gets her makeup you know, and all that kind of thing. There's no, there's nothing about, and her wardrobe, oh my goodness sake. She must go to Neiman Marcus or something. Um, and don't we get carried away sometimes as women on things, surfacy things like that. But anyway, point being, their focus was on her heart. Their focus was on her virtue. Their focus was on her loving heart and how she administered to her mother-in-law. Notice that they say she's better than seven sons quite a statement considering how important one son was in this time of history. Seven sons. Interesting that the, the biblical um, uh, number seven is a number of perfection and completeness. Isn't that amazing? And so they're saying not only one son, but wow, it's like seven sons, the perfect, the, uh, the complete number of sons in your life, is what they're saying to her. Amazing. Also, that between the lines, the implication um, that the bonds of Ruth's love are stronger than that of blood. Basically, that her sister, her daughter-in-law, was better than a natural child. 
you now have this woman in your life, in your family, who's, wow, better than a son? Oh, better than seven sons, she is saying. She's making that connect. They are making that connect that she has this family member who is an amazing woman now in her life. Amazing statement. And then from there, from uh, edifying Naomi and then edifying Ruth, number E on your outline, the baby is prophesied about. Notice that at the very beginning of verse 15, they, they prophesy about him. Number one, he will be a, the restorer of life. He is a restorer of life. In other words, he's giving her back her family and her life. She came back empty, as she said earlier, and now she has something to live for. Her life has been restored, that this baby has been given to restore her life is basically what they're saying. Secondly, number two, that he will nourish her in her old age. What a neat uh, picture that this baby is going to provide love and nurture and um, you know, the good things that she would need in her old age as she gets older, that she's gonna have this wonderful little boy um, to, 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 be, um, to love her and to nurture her. And um, it, it, the word nurture in the original language means rich in goodness and joy, blessing in her old age. Also notice that in verse 16, it says that uh, Naomi is involved in the care of the baby. It talks about the baby placed in her lap and she began and she was a nurse to him. Now, I don't think it actually means nursing the baby. No, I think it means that she is the nurse or the nanny, that she's going to be a part of the rearing of this little guy. Wow. And then in verse 17, the women recognize this because uh, in a sense, he, you know, notice that they said, you were given a son. And it's in the sense that the baby is not only Boaz's, but because of that transfer that Sarah talked about so brilliantly last week, the transfer of land and so forth, actually, literally, the baby was kind of Elimelech and Malon's baby, legally. Because the, the whole point of the kinsman redeemer was, and the reason why the first one didn't want it, besides, you know, Ruth, was that the name would be in the name of Elimelech and Malon. And so in the same sense, the child was her child, in the sense that it was Elimelech's and Malon's child. Does that make sense? I'm working on it. Anyway, <laughs> so... She, uh, the women recognize that the importance of this little boy in Naomi's life. And then from there, number three, he is named. And this is a little bit different too. Interesting that they appear to be the ones that actually give the child its name. Isn't that interesting? Um, and so they say, that his name will be Obed. And it's very interesting because the word Obed in the original language means servant, servant. Um, that it, it, which is incredible because he is in the lineage of Jesus. He's in the, the lineup of, 
uh, people in the life of Jesus who is the ultimate servant spirit, isn't he? The great suffering servant. I love what Warren Wearsby said. They named him Obed, servant. God would use this baby to be a source of blessing to many. This baby would be the ancestor of Jesus himself who brings blessing into our lives in the midst of difficulties, hope and uh, an eternal destination when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. He brought hope. He was uh, the, the great servant. And here was Obed in the genealogical line of Jesus. Wow, amazing. So we can see so clearly God's divine design. God's divine design. Verses, look with me to verses 18 through 22. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, these were the generations of Perez. Perez father has fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. That's the easiest one of the group. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse followed David. Wow, fathered David. Wow. A, the genealogy. This is a short take on the genealogy. And um, it, it's a, a small list of the, uh, the descendants, the ancestors of David, and then Jesus. And um, when it says fathered, uh, another word in the original language is ancestor. So um, that doesn't necessarily mean that Obed was, you know, that the, the line came down just like that, one right after another. The timing is a little bit, you know, interesting. But the point being that Obed at one point finally becomes the father of David. And then David becomes the father, the ancestor of Jesus. The lineage, it's describing the lineage of how um, Obed becomes David's great, 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 however many greats of David. And then David, the great, great, greats of Jesus himself. The lineage, it's showing the line, the ancestry of David and then of Jesus. Wow. He has a divine design. Uh, when we commit our lives to him. Once again, the theme, God reigns supreme. What he's going to do, he is going to do. And I love the fact that an insignificant Gentile Moabite becomes the ancestor to David and then to Jesus himself. Amazing. The ultimate privilege of a Jewish girl. When she would get pregnant, she would say, could it be? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the one? And, and that, it would have been the ultimate privilege for a Jewish girl to be, uh, to birth the Messiah. And here was, was Ruth, a Moabitess, in the lineage, in the line, in the ancestry of the Messiah. Amazing, amazing. The pro process, pr process of history is not haphazard. God has a divine design for all of us. We all are God's masterpiece. He has a design for us today. He has a, a design for us 
in this culture, in this time. You know, we've talked about this in the past, but he could have any Christians alive today in 2020 and 2021. With all the things that are going on around us, he could have had, you know, Billy and Ruth Graham alive ministering and, and being a part of things. He could have had um, uh, uh, the Schaefers alive and ministering. He could have had, he could have picked any Christian to be alive. But guess what? He has picked you and me. And so as, as he's allowed us to be alive in this difficult time, really, in our culture, we need to find what our place is and what, what, he, what his divine design is for us. Bob and I were chatting about that um, Monday night while I was kind of thinking about this lesson and kind of preparing it. And we were saying, you know, we need to be the people that bring hope in our culture right now. We need to be the hope dispensers. We kind of like that. Bob says, you know what, I think I'm going to get a, a dispenser of some sort and put hope on it and we'll have it and think about it all the time. And we were laughing about that. But isn't that the truth? That in a time that God has allowed us to be the believers who are alive right now, at this time and in this place, then anybody in our spheres of influence, we need to be the ones that are dispensing hope. We need to be the ones that saying, you know, okay, it looks crazy out there, but God is in control. Who is God? Well, pff, he's a loving Heavenly Father, and we need to be the dispensers of hope in the lives around us. Amazing. A, or B, also, B and Boaz, Ruth and Boaz, I'm sorry, Ruth and Boaz, okay, were role models in their relationships. I believe Part of the divine design for God telling us the story is for us to observe Ruth and Boaz and how they handle their relationships. Now, um, relationships can sometimes be the most difficult aspect of our lives, right? I won't look at you. Don't look at me. We're going to look at the ceiling together and sort of nod our heads. That sometimes relationships can be the most difficult in our lives. But, um, you know, our feeling is that sometimes, you know, if it weren't just for so-and-so in my life, I could be a really good Christian. But that person brings out the worst in me, and um, Lord, I'm trying really hard here. And sometimes we feel that way. But our, the key to our walk is how we deal with our relationships. First John 4, 7, very convicting, but is very clear about that. It says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Wow. That's pretty specific and very pretty powerful. We are, the key to our walk is the measuring stick of our walk with the Lord is how we are loving one another and, of course, the most difficult people in our life. It's easy to love the wonderful uh, loved ones, but the, how we're loving the ones that are not quite as easy to love is pivotal and key in uh, the measuring stick to our relationship with God. There are three basic types of relationship. There's the broad, the intimate, and the future. First one, 
we have broad relationships acquaintances people that um, you know that, that we hardly even know are watching our lives maybe a co-worker or uh, maybe um, you know somebody that you see at the grocery store regularly or hairdressers or whatever our neighbors yeah and they what we need to remember is they are watching us they are watching our lives, these broad relationships that, that we kind of just go through you know, day, day by day that we perhaps don't think about that much. They are watching our lives. I've told this story before, but um, years ago, I was taking uh, my, our, our car in to get it serviced, and there were several things that needed to be taken care of, and I was talking to the service manager across his desk, and he was saying, okay, this needs to be covered, and this will be that much, and this will be that much, and we went through the whole thing, and um, <clears throat> how long it would take, and so forth and so on, and at the end of the conversation, he said, by the way, I just wanted to ask you, is Roby or Tori going to pick you up? And I was like, he knows who I am. And and so immediately, what happened in my mind, I'm like, okay, was I polite? Was I cordial? <laughs> Did I look freaked out when he gave me the price? And, and, I, and it was such a lesson for me that there are times when people know exactly who we are, that, that you know exactly that we are believers and that we worship Jesus, and so they're watching us, hmm, let's see how she reacts in this situation. How is she going to react in that situation? And we need to be so aware that our broad people, the broad relationships are watching our lives. We are the ones that may point, hopefully, people to the Lord in our, from our broad relationship. As the women in Bethlehem were watching Ruth's life, and her character and her attitude canceled out their natural feelings as Israelis toward a foreigner because they were watching her, watching her. How does she react here? How does she react there? We have such a responsibility. And because they saw in her life her character, remember they called her better than seven sons. Wow. When we handle our broad relationships correctly. We are God's tools, his ambassadors that can be used for his kingdom, especially right now when there is such a need for hope. Are we a hope dispenser in our broad relationships? That's the question. Number two, we have intimate relationships. The first example of handling um, intimate relationships, we saw that in Ruth and Naomi's interaction, didn't we? We saw Ruth's love and commitment to her and her willingness to do whatever it took to help out. We saw Naomi's concern for her rest, as we talked about last week, uh, and sacrifice. We see that, that concern and their love reaction with each other. And then in Boaz, his generosity, his attention to the important things such as faith and character and so forth and how he handled the court convening and how everything, uh, his relationships were so important that he handled them with character and integrity. All were living out, before this was even written, 1 Corinthians 13, which was in your homework, um, love is patient, love is kind, and on and on it goes in, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians the great passage describing love. Are we hope dispensers 
in our intimate relationships? Are we providing hope to the people that are the closest around us? Hope dispensers. Number three, then we have future relationships. It's no mistake that God picked this group to be the ancestors of the Lord. We've, named, we've already read that genealogy, and I think it's so interesting that the writer of the book of Ruth wanted us to see, look at this. They are, these are the ancestors of the Messiah himself. Amazing. We must be aware of the tremendous impact we have on our future generations by the lives we live in front of them and through prayer an example and through teaching. May we never ever take lightly and forget to have in our minds at all times with our children, with our grandchildren, with our nieces and nephews, whoever the future generations are within our lives, that we need to be impacting them for Christ's sake. We need to be teaching. We need to be examples. We need to be hope dispensers in the lives of the future generations, in the, fu in the future relationships. And so we move on, the ultimate picture of Jesus, the Redeemer. Ultimate divine design that God has for us in studying the story is that it's a picture of Jesus Christ, our ultimate kinsman redeemer, our ultimate goel, as it is says in Hebrew. Boaz redeeming Ruth is a picture of the Lord Jesus redeeming each of us individually. Um, do you remember the word redeem in relationship to SNH green stamps? Okay, well, somebody gave me an old SNH green stamp and it is full of stamps which do no good now because I don't think there are any redemption centers anymore. But the point was, in the day, this really, please everybody nod, especially the younger generation. Um, that this sounds familiar, you remember this. But what you would do is you would go to the grocery store or the, um, the gas station, and when you'd purchase something, they'd give you stamps. And then you'd put them in your book. And these, there are a lot of 50s in this book. Wow. And 10s. And um, you put them in, in, in your um, SNH savings uh, pamphlet, whatever you call it, book. And then you'd go to the redemption center and you would trade your stamps for that thing that you wanted in the catalog from the redemption center. And um, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I redeemed. Uh, Stack. Oh my goodness, you had to have so many books to be able to redeem something. Oh my goodness, I just practically had to have a wagon help me haul the green stamps book. There. But they had this, this um, set of dishes, coffee cup things in avocado green. <laughs> and this is what I wanted. And so I took my green stamps in, handed them over, and they gave me the present. I was redeemed with the gift of those avocado dishes, which, by the way, I still have. <laughs> and because they cost so many green stamps that I don't want to get rid of them. But anyway, um, anyway, that is the idea. That is what redeem is to give something in exchange. But isn't it amazing that when God redeems us, 
there is nothing we can give back. The only way that we can respond to his redeeming us is to love him back. It is free. He, we don't have to produce something in exchange. He redeems us because of his love for us. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. A, we have a need. Just like Ruth, we have nothing to bring. Ruth had really nothing to bring other than her loving heart and the fact that she, you know, um, was, wanted to love Boaz as his wife. And um, so she had nothing to bring. We have nothing to bring. We too are lowly. She was a Moabitess. She was a foreigner. She had nothing. She was a beggar. We are the same. In our sin, we have nothing to offer God. Romans 3.23 says, For we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have nothing to bring. We don't have a list of, well, you know, I've been good to my, this person. I've been good to that person. We, can, we have nothing to bring because we have sin in our lives. We are too lowly. We are lowly, des- destitute, and basically beggars like Ruth. We have nothing to bring. We have a need. But B, God, in his immense, unconditional love, just like Boaz is such a picture in his love for Ruth, lifted Ruth up and changed her position as his bride, didn't he? From beggar to bride. Um, and she had nothing to offer Boaz. There was no dowry. There, there was, she was nothing bringing anything to him other than her love. And it was through grace that she became an heiress to a great inheritance as Boaz's bride. Same in our lives. Jesus is our great Boaz. Jesus, through his great love and grace, has lifted us up to his side. He's given us an inheritance. Wow. Um, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am neither, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So we go from beggar to bride, just like Ruth. Such a picture. Wow. And then Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his great love for us that while we were still sinners, that Jesus died for us, that Christ died for us. Amazing. Uh, Ephesians uh, 1, 14 talks about how we're heiresses to a great inheritance. Uh, Ephesians 1, 14. In him, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. That we're going to receive an inheritance that we cannot even, the inheritance that Ruth got by marrying Boaz, wow, it was wonderful, but nothing compared to the inheritance that we have coming to us, which is called eternal life and all the amazing blessings that God has in our life. Um, I've told this story before, but there's a, a, a friend of ours who uh, he and his wife were Jewish and um, they were really struggling in their marriage. And so they decided to separate for a while. And he went on to, be, to stay with some friends in New England. And when he got to the friend's home in New England, they be, were Christians. 
they had become Christians and began sharing their faith with this man. And he was listening and taking it in and he, he, he said, I, I want this. I want to be a part of this. I want to come to know Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior as well. And so after he became a believer, he called his wife and said, listen, I just need to tell you, I have just received a great inheritance. So guess what she said? I am on the next plane. <laughs> Thinking, of course, that it was a financial inheritance. And so she arrived in New England, and the couple and he began to share with her what the inheritance really was. And, of course, at first she was what? Livid. But once she began to hear, and once she began to, to see this couple and their lives, once they, she saw her husband and how his heart had been changed and how his behavior had been changed, he became a hope dispenser. And she said, I want this. I want this. And so she gave her heart to the Lord. They, uh, their marriage got back together again. And today, as far as I know, we've kind of lost track of them right now, but the last time we heard, they were in ministry in West Palm Beach. Is that amazing? Inheritance, inheritance, inheritance. Wow. Number C on your outline, what is our response? As we follow what Ruth did to be redeemed, she humbly lay down at Boaz's feet, which was expressing her need. We talk, uh, Sarah talked about how basically um, you know, she, she was propor- proposing marriage. Um, to him by lying at his feet. She was expressing her need. Romans uh, 10, 9, uh, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. As we confess our need to him, just as, as Ruth lay at Boaz's feet, as we confess our need for you, for him, he will, um, he will, we confess with our mouth, he will forgive our sins and raise us. Wow. Boaz is the picture or the type of Jesus, and it continues. What did he do? In chapter 3, he says to Ruth, I will do all you ask. To all of us, um, what our Boaz, Jesus, did was so much bigger, obviously, than what the earthly Boaz did. He left his throne in glory. He came and put on, became a human being, went to the cross, died for our sins, for, for us to become his bride, his Ruth. Amazing, amazing. And then, remember, Boaz sealed the agreement by receiving a sandal. Again, it was a Symbolic, it was a custom, thank you. He sealed the agreement with the custom of receiving a sandal. Our great Boaz sealed our rescue through his sacrificial death when he said, it is finished, it is finished. Wow, how much more of a sacrifice of a perfect God giving his life so that his Ruth, us, his bride, us, you and me, might live. Amazing. 
For previous lessons or other resources, please visit sharedinhouse.org or call us at 954-583-1552. We hope you can join us again next week.